Are you guys excited for the Word of God? Are you guys excited for the Word of God? I'm not just excited for the Word of God. I'm excited for the person sharing the Word of God. I know he's going to kill me for this one, but I've walked with Darwin a journey for three years, and I can say, be expected. Take out your notebooks. Be ready for the Lord to speak. Darwin, can you make your way up here? Can we pray for him? Father, thank you for the mouthpiece that you have chosen to speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will empower him like you empowered Paul when he faced different things, different oppositions, and where he had to defend the gospel and where he had to explain the gospel. But he did it through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, will you empower him to speak what you have laid on his heart? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to start telling everyone that I don't mind if they say things about me so that when they come up, they might avoid it. Uh, it's really good to be with you guys again. It's really exciting for me to share from the word of the Lord. Uh, this week we're going to be talking, thank you, amen. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the spirit of God, which took a lot of weight off my shoulders in terms of preparation because I think there's nobody in this room or in this building, even in Christian circles that could stand up and say, I understand fully this spirit of God. I think we all experience God's Spirit in different ways, and it's my prayer today is that you, for your personal journey, would experience the Spirit of God in such a way that you know He's real and that you know He's true. I'm going to start off by telling you a story. Generally, most of my stories either involve food or football. This one involves both. It was a good day. Uh, about two weeks ago, my, my best friend, shout out Winsor, uh, my best friend gives me a call and I was at work and it was a bit of a tough day and he says, listen, let's go watch the football tonight. I responded really, really excitedly and even within five, ten minutes I told him, I will buy the tickets, I will make the arrangements, it's completely fine, we're going. That's our, our specific plans. So we get there. We get food. It was really nice. I'm not sure if you guys have ever experienced food at a football stadium. My encouragement would be that you guys go and do that. It's absolutely amazing and incredible. So we're sitting, we're eating, we're watching the game. There's not much conversation going on because we're good people and we're there for the football. So we're watching the football. Once in a while we discuss tactics. Now... Williams played football before and he's honestly one of the best, best football players I've ever seen. So I use these opportunities to just look at him and talk tactics as if I understand the game as well as he does. And then I wait for his confirmation and he's like, hmm, then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know football. So that's going on. It's a really good day. Game's over. We got to see some incredible football being played, some good goals being scored. And now it's time to go home. Now, William's the football player here, not me. So I expected him to be walking just as fast as I was, heading back to the car. 
and I'm really excited, and I'm talking about things, and I turn around, and I can't remember exactly what I was saying, but I know there was an action to accompany whatever my words were. And I turn around and I do this action, and William is nowhere in sight. He's, he's gone. And then the people looked at me a bit strange, and then well, I just turned around and carried on walking as fast as I could. And now I'm thinking, this guy's supposed to be playing football. He's supposed to be fit. Where is he? How could I lose him? How could he lose me? And then within a few seconds, I decided, wait, hold up. This is actually my best friend. I know him. I know what he's like, and I know what he's most likely going to do, which is go to his car, plug his phone into charge, and give me a call. Turns out that's exactly what he did. He went straight to the car when he realized he couldn't find me, plugged his phone into charge, and then in trying to get a hold of me, I had, oh yeah, wait, this is what's going to happen. I walked to the car as well, and we found each other, and it wasn't an issue. The reason I tell you the story is because sometimes it's really good to rely not on what someone does or what they're currently doing, but the essence of who they actually are. I think if it was anyone else, I'd be a bit worried, wondering, is this person going to go to their car? Do I even remember what their car looks like? Are they going to phone me? If you're like me, it takes me very long to say phone numbers. Would somebody else have had my phone number? But because it was my best friend, because there was meaningful relationship, there was a space to trust that actually everything's going to be okay, that I don't need to worry, that I don't need to stress. And I wonder what our approach to the Holy Spirit is. If we're going to talk about the Spirit, is our initial response, well, this is what I've experienced the Holy Spirit doing. Let me testify about the Holy Spirit because of the things He does. Or are we able to say this is who the Holy Spirit is? Let me introduce you to Him. In John 16, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this evening, Jesus explains some of what the Holy Spirit actually does. But the majority or the bigger focus in this portion of Scripture is who Jesus is. If I can ask you guys to turn to John 16, we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go through verse by verse and just see what the Holy Spirit has to say, not just about what He does, but about who He wants to be in our lives. John 16, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking about his imminent death and departure, speaking to his disciples, and he says the following, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. What's really interesting is, I don't know about you guys, but I often sometimes feel a bit of distance from Jesus. Generally, it happens when somebody presses the wrong buttons on a Monday morning. You know, Sunday evening, you're here, and there's this thickness, this heaviness of God's presence, and you leave, and you're like, ah, nothing's going to touch me for this week. And then you get into work, and you're making coffee, and you realize there's no milk here. And the person who was supposed to buy the milk 
hasn't gone and done that, and you're faced with a few fundamental choices there early in the morning. But it's really interesting that Jesus himself acknowledges that sometimes in our walk with him, there are going to be these times and these spaces where we actually feel the distance. It's not always going to be a wonderful session of praise and worship where we're all collectively together. Sometimes when we choose to journey with Jesus properly, he'll take us through darkness, through our own darkness and through the darkness of the world. And those are scary, scary spaces. And in those scary spaces, you feel that distance. But here's Jesus acknowledging, it's okay. Sometimes part of journeying properly with him means we will face the distance just like the disciples did. But in verse 7, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Here's an explanation of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. He's going to come, and he's going to condemn the world. Not condemn, sorry. Convict the world. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. If I were to condemn someone, I'm writing them off. I am making a proclamation. This person is that. And that's all they'll be. When I convict someone, it's highlighting, actually, actually, you're operating in a space. You're living from a space that's showing behavior that's contrary to who God made you to be. There's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. As I was reading this, the Lord highlighted that it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring about this conviction. And I think far too many times there's this fear or reluctancy to deal with the sin, righteousness, and judgment issues within our own heart so it becomes so much easier to project it onto others in the world. Let's go through a practical example. If somebody were to walk in here right now, and I really hope no one does, uh, but if somebody was to walk in here right now completely drunk, smelling of smoke, and they walk up and they want to sit right there where I was sitting, what is going to be our response would it be that actually, actually, this person is disturbing what's going on here? Or would we be willing to entertain the idea that the Spirit is drawing and convicting the worst of the sinners and bringing them in? You see, we could go around. We could go, I could ask this entire section, hey, go to the nearest pub and bring the people in. Go there. They'll think you're crazy. They will but allow the Spirit to do a work in someone's heart. And there's a complete difference. And I think that's what Jesus is explaining about the, the Holy Spirit here. He's going to do the work of an advocate. And obviously I had to go read up what exactly does an advocate do. And the best definition that I could come across was, well, an advocate is a person who speaks or acts on behalf of a case or a person or a cause that they wholeheartedly support. And then I got thinking, oh, wow, 
The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Lord told me to calm down, and he said, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit's not here to support your personal individual causes. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is an advocate of the cause of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is supporting, acting on behalf, and giving continually to build God's kingdom. That's what he's an advocate for. The invitation to us is that we get to join that team. Not sure if you've ever watched a court case, but I encourage you to do so. It's really, really entertaining. It's actually very informative <laughs> as well. As you watch this, you see that there's an advocate up there who's presenting the case, who is making the points that need to be made. And then behind him, there's five people. Generally, they have Macs. So I asked my boss to get me a Mac, so I could also look like I know what I'm doing at work. Uh, but generally, they sit there with Macs, and then they're busy, they're typing, and they're continually feeding information. They are continually listening to what the advocate is saying so that they can be prepared to support the case that's being made. And I wonder if that's the position of our hearts today. Holy Spirit, what are you doing and saying in the world? Holy Spirit, how are you convicting them of sin? How are you highlighting what is righteous and what is not? How are you judging and how? How do I contribute? How do I position myself so that I'm ready to support the case that you're actually making? We go to verse 9 and it says, well, he's going to come and convict about sin because people don't believe in me. It sounds a bit unfair. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're guilty of sin. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is that Jesus is actually the only remedy for sin. Within the context of the scripture, the Jewish culture would have known the, the best ways to deal with sin is to try and follow the law, the Old Testament law. Do this, don't do that. Or where you've gone wrong, sacrifice. Go to the high priest and make a sacrifice. Or turn to the philosophy of the Greek world at that time. Come up with excuses as to why I can do what I need to do or want to do with my body. And here, Jesus is saying, man, the world actually doesn't understand sin. If they understood sin, then they'd know and understand me. The world is continually missing that. Verse 10 says, well, the Spirit's also going to come and convict about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Why does Jesus say this? Anything, anything void of the person of Jesus will never, ever be part of anything righteous. Anything in your life that doesn't involve Jesus will never lead you down a path of righteousness. You cannot separate the idea of righteousness from the person of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. There was a group that tried to do that. They were called the Pharisees. I like reading about them. Jesus has some strong words for them. He actually calls them a wicked and a perverse generation, pursuing righteousness outside of the person of Jesus. He goes further to call them a bunch of snakes, a brood of vipers. This is the loving God that we're talking about, speaking these very, very strong words. Why? So all they wanted to do was pursue righteousness on their terms. 
And what Jesus is saying is, guys, this is not how it actually works. Verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The world standard for judgment offers absolutely no hope. None whatsoever. You see, if you live according to the world standard of judgment, whether that's for other people or yourself, you're always going to find yourself being short. Not physically, but like, you know, in terms of the standard that they're setting there. Whether you own an Apple phone or an Android, Samsung, next year you're going to have to get a new one according to the world standards. Please donate and help me get one. Uh, <laughs> You could buy the latest BMW, and then what happens in a couple of months' time? It's no longer the latest. Standards of the world are always progressing, always changing, always evolving. Because in the world where Jesus doesn't exist, there's no absolutes. There's no unchanging reference point. But in God's kingdom, there is. And this is what Jesus is saying, even with something like judgment, Man, if you judge according to the world's standards, one day you will be loved. Remember how they loved Jesus. He had crowds following him. Jesus, oof, I love this part about Jesus. It's probably my favorite. The crowds were too much. And then he was like, hey, I need a break from these people. I'm going to go <laughs> on the other side of this lake here. That's what Jesus did. The, the, they loved him. The same people that loved him because... They lived according to their standards. What happened? It was the same people that decided to crucify him. Leave judging others. How often do we judge ourselves according to the world's standards? It will never be enough if that's how you choose to live life. You see, the thing of sin, dealing with sin, the thing of pursuing righteousness, and the thing of judgment all belong to the Spirit, is what the word is saying here. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is he then? Who is this person? Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Verse 12, I have much more to say, more than you can now bear. Sometimes we need to trust God's wisdom in the process. Here, the disciples could have easily been given the bigger picture. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Here's the bigger picture. And here's the list of what you need to do. Go and change the world. It's not what Jesus did. He caters to our fears. He knows they exist. He knows we have insecurities. And he says, if I give you the bigger picture now, actually, it's not going to be okay. But I'm asking you to trust the process. Who is governing this process? It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given to us as a gift. Trusting the process also requires humility. If there's no humility within us, how are we ever going to be humble enough to believe someone outside of ourselves actually knows what's best for us? Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, I don't think a lot of people enjoyed it, myself included. My, my teachers certainly didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. Because it always felt like I was being forced into understanding right from wrong. Not even understanding, I was being forced and told, this is right, this is wrong. And granted, most of the things, you know, were that clear. But I wanted to engage. I wanted to understand. I wanted to think deeper. What Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit is not going to come and force you into a new way of living. He's not going to come and force you to give up what's wrong. He's not going to force you into your thinking, being transformed. He's going to guide you. And the only way he can guide you is if you are on the right path. Drive to Cape Town and put in your GPS that you want to actually go to Durban. Doesn't matter what the GPS says, if you're choosing to go the wrong way, man, no amount of guidance is going to actually help you. But what the Holy Spirit is asking is, start the journey, take the first step, I'm here to guide you. Not only that, last week we learned that there's going to be opposition that comes. There's going to be difficulty that we're facing. Is the Holy Spirit not working in the world that is bringing up this difficulty that we're scared of? He's asking us the embodiment of truth. Will you trust me and journey with me? Remember when I went to Loftus, my friend didn't ask me that, but it was implied that we were going to go there and come back together. And just because I didn't see him, just because I didn't feel him in an instance that he wasn't around, I trusted. I knew who he was. If I can do that for a human, how much more for the Spirit of God? How much more for the Spirit that embodies truth, that is a gift from the Savior of my soul? We're not guided. We're guided. We're not forced. How will we respond to that? Verse 14 and 15 says, It's the Spirit that will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The ultimate aim of who the person of the Spirit is and the work that he does is to bring glory to the Father. If ever it's anything contrary to that, I'll make a bold enough statement and say, perhaps that's not the Spirit of God. I'm going to be a bit real with you guys. There's far too many churches and people representing Jesus' church using what they call the Holy Spirit to misrepresent God's heart. And then we see people buying stuff like anointing oil or holy water. People want to purchase things of the Spirit where Jesus himself calls the Spirit a gift. It's something that we need to not just address, but something that we need to stand firm on. What do we stand firm on? Truth. And if it's the Spirit that's living in us, the Spirit of truth, what will flow out of us? has to be truth, God's truth. Just as Jesus can't be separated from righteousness, I'd like you to think about this, that the Holy Spirit himself 
can't be separated from truth. Where can there be a lie if the Spirit of God is present? It's why the Bible says the Spirit helps us pray. How? Sometimes through tongues. But the best way I explain this is, mm, you're facing temptation. Lovely, let me show you how the Spirit will help you pray. What temptation are you facing? Gee, you want to steal that phone down there. Don't do that. But Jesus really struggling with this. He really is. And he wants to steal it. So what's going <laughs> so to happen? I'm not going to pray and bring anointing oil and pour it on his head and ask that the, the, the demons of stealing leave this guy. Uh-uh. If I was doing his discipleship, all I'd say to him is, think a bit with the Spirit. Pray. You want to steal it? Ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you steal that. Because then the words will not even come out of your mouth because there's an understanding. Wait, that actually is not from the Spirit of God. Wait, that's wrong. And, yeah, and then it takes you back to that place of humility. Holy Spirit, guide me because I really want to steal this thing, but it's not what's right. How do I live according to what's right? You see... When the embodiment of truth comes to live in us, it's the greatest privilege we'll ever experience in our lives. The spirit of truth journeying with us. Why do I say that? Well, when, the, when we allow the Holy Spirit to perform his responsibilities, when he does the work, the benefits that we receive are the greatest privilege. It's not our work to transform ourselves into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit works with us, in us, and through us to get to that place. Just like we spoke about sin earlier on and how the, the Spirit would convict the world of sin, I want to say something strong. If you are waking up every day determined not to sin, and you're writing it on your mirror, and you're putting reminders on your phone, and you are doing everything in your power to not sin, well done, but then what did Jesus sacrifice himself for? You see, we, what we portray about what we actually believe within is going to influence how others see it. So we can quickly judge places that actually do sell anointing oil and holy water and stuff like that. Because the idea that they're selling is that your salvation, your healing, everything will come through your efforts. Sometimes in our day-to-day -day journeys, we live the same message before people, that it's about us and our efforts because we exclude this person of the Holy Spirit. You see, if Jesus is the only remedy for sin, then we should be turning to him daily, not just to deal with our sin, but to help us overcome it. If you're righteous as a result of your attempts to do Christianity well, you've missed the point. When somebody asks you about righteousness, your default response should be, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with my actions. It's a standing, it's a position that I live from. Judgment, <laughs> it's the funny thing. It's, it's as if we live in this space not wanting to be judged as a sinner. 
hopefully that we'd be judged as righteous. Guys, we already have been judged as sinners. It's why the Father sent Jesus. It's too late for that. If you're living your life to avoid being judged as a sinner, oh, you're going to have a rough time. If you're living your life pursuing righteousness, that's also incorrect. Why? Because then you're going to start doing things from your own efforts. And you are going to create your own righteousness. What's the best way to live? To pursue God and all his truth. Every day, day to day. Sometimes we don't have the, biggest, uh, the bigger picture. What does this look like daily? How, how do we take these nice things about who the Spirit of God is and allow Him the space He actually deserves in our lives? I should probably give you answers now, but I only have one. Because it's all I've found that works for me. Remember my prayer at the beginning was that you would find your way to connect with the Spirit. He's God. We don't need to say He works in one, two, three ways. Actually, actually, He'll meet you. Trust Him and He will meet you. So what do I do? I sit and I think with the Holy Spirit, which is really good because sometimes the thoughts that I have, I'm just like, oh, wow, that no one should ever hear about. Not because they're sinful, but just because they really lack logic. You know, they just, oof, yeah, that, uh, that's not going to work out. So often I invite the Holy Spirit to come in, into my mind and help me think. And in this process, like, it's simple. It's, it's really simple. Holy Spirit, here's an issue. How do I think about this? And then all I do is write down my thoughts, my initial reactions. How do I know those are my thoughts? Oh, it was very expressive there. I'm angry. I'm saying things. I'm going like the paper's tearing because the pen is being pressed really hard. And then I ask the Holy Spirit to help me think. And there's just this idea that drops in my mind that changes everything about how I feel about the certain thing. And then I pause and I'm like, oh, Lord, this sounds like you. And I journey with it further. And then I say, well, Holy Spirit, if this is how you want me to think, take me to a scripture that confirms this. Or take me to a scripture that takes this understanding deeper. Or as I'm interacting with someone, Holy Spirit, because you're helping me think, help me interact with this person. Here's my responses. But what's yours? And if the Holy Spirit is real, if the Word of God is real, if what Jesus said here in John 16 is real, the Holy Spirit comes through. He comes through with truth. Truth that the world out there that's broken needs more importantly, truth that you as an individual needs. I live my life always wanting to be a hero and save the world. When there was, I think it was in 2006, there was this natural disaster off the coast of Japan. I was one of those people who offered my services to go and help out. Now, the funny thing is, I didn't have any services to offer. I could do nothing that they required, but I really, really, really wanted to go. And I do things like that over and over. And one day we were in church. Now, this is not Japan here, Hatfield. We're in church, and the song Mighty to Save is being sung. 
and I'm standing up and I see someone a couple of uh, rows in front of me that I had been praying for, that I had been trusting that the Lord would do a work. I see this person there. They're standing and worshiping and mighty to save. The lyrics go, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. And there I'm standing. Yeah, I'm not going to sing for you guys now because then a lot of you will leave. But I'm up there with my, and I'm singing, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. But I'm looking at this guy, wanting something to happen. The Lord told me to please put my hand and sit down, put my hand down and sit down. I'm like, why? Oh, I'm singing, you know, that you're mighty to save. And he said, don't sing it over someone else until you actually believe it. And that convicted me deeply. And I sat down and I asked the Lord to speak a bit more because oof, that was a tough place to be left in. <laughs> and he said the following words and he's been saying it for years, over and over and over. You wanna reconcile any form of brokenness out there in the world? Allow me to first reconcile the brokenness that exists within your heart. And I ask you the question today, how many of you never face brokenness out there in the world? No one can put their hand up. But the second question also applies, how many of you don't have brokenness within your own heart? And no one will put their hand up, because the same applies. Now here's Jesus and his spirit, able to deal with the brokenness in your own heart, but promising us that he's already working, dealing with the brokenness out there in the world. How we want to end tonight is by praying for you guys. It's no use talking about the Holy Spirit and then not inviting him to do a work in each and every one of your lives. We've got anointing oil, which now I realize I shouldn't have made jokes about selling. Uh, <laughs> we're not selling them. But it's a symbol. It's a symbolism of the thing we're trusting for. It's an act. It's a prophetic action. The oil represents the anointing that the Spirit will give us. My prayer is that the anointing carries, firstly, the truth of the Spirit to deal with your own brokenness, whatever that might be, as well as the brokenness of the world that the Lord is calling you to. I'm going to ask all the leaders to come forward that are going to be assisting. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you agree with what the prayer is saying, then come forward. Come forward and be anointed. Come forward and receive what the Spirit has for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you firstly that you would send your son to die on the cross. That the sin that we have in our lives, you've provided a remedy for. Then the outworking of the rest of our lives You've also provided for, you've given us your spirit, the spirit of truth. Father, I pray that as people come up, they would meet your truth. Father, I pray that people who are trusting for healing in their bodies would also know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is here tonight and wants to meet with them. Father, for those that feel called to the brokenness of the world, that as they come up, they too would meet your spirit that speaks words of hope to them, that speaks inspiration to the depths of who they are. 
Father, I pray that up in this space, you would come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to pray with you guys. If you would like some prayer, all the leaders are up front. You guys are welcome to come forward.